0: Of God's people said, amen. Hey, what a wonderful time of worship we've had this morning. I invite you to continue to worship with us by taking your copy of the scripture and let's find Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. You know, sometimes on my phone I get a lot of alerts, you know, different things going on, breaking news, those kinds of things. A few years ago when I was in New Orleans and I was going to seminary, I signed up to get the alerts from a channel down there called WWL. WWL, like on radio I would listen, and also they had a television station. And they would kind of give us updates from time to time. I still get those updates. And over the summer, I mean, it just seemed like I kept getting alert after alert after alert. Every time there was some type of little tropical system in the Gulf, there would be an alert that would come forth on WWL. Why? Because the folks in New Orleans, they were especially concerned about any type of tropical activity. So I would still get that. And we've had a few storms this year, have we not? I mean, like, we've been getting alerts. We've been told. Hopefully the season now is beginning to end just a little bit. I think there's an ADA down there. Oh, have you loved getting to know the Greek alphabet? Like now when your pastor talks to you about the Greek a little bit, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember some of the alphabet, you know, because of hurricane season. Yeah, we remember that, and we, we know that obviously South Louisiana is many times affected. And it's, it's funny that every time there is a hurricane that comes into Louisiana, even South Louisiana, I have friends in Mississippi and others who are geographically challenged who text me and be like, are you okay? Are you all right? Like it didn't, you, you made it through the storm. Well, Zeta actually, like, it didn't even come here, right? But again, family folks outside of Louisiana, they just think, like, New Orleans, Louisiana. That's the way they think. I had a college professor call me up one time and say, hey, we're wanting to bring the Blue Mountain College choir by, and we were going to ask if they could sing one Sunday at your church. I said, cool, that would be fine. Where where are you going to be? And they said, well, we're going to be in New Orleans. So we thought we'd run up for the day, and we'd go ahead and, like, sing for y'all, and then we'd just go back to New Orleans. Do you realize how far Ruston, Louisiana is from New Orleans? And when I told them, they said, hey, we'll catch you next time, all right? Because they just don't realize. But anyway, I get these texts. and and, And look, it doesn't seem right that we would be worried about hurricanes here in Ruston. I mean, I moved from South Louisiana for a variety of reasons. I like peaches. I like deer hunting. By the way, I said I like deer. This morning in the 9 a.m., I don't know what people heard, but they put a B there instead of a D. Yeah, I've gotten surely some comments on Facebook. It's not beer, it's deer that I like, all right? But uh, I like deer hunting. Like, hey, I like the church. It's one of the reasons I moved to. I like the church. And also, I kind of like getting away from the hurricanes, except I didn't get quite far enough, because if you were here, obviously, just a few weeks ago, we were impacted by Hurricane Laura, and then, in some sense, we were also impacted by Delta. Now, one of the things about hurricanes hurricane or storms that come is often you lose your power You lose your electricity. I mean, you are concerned about other damage. Don't get me wrong. You're always concerned about that. And there's some serious damage that will come with storms. But a lot of times you're thinking, I'm going to lose my power. So you're trying to make all kind of accommodations. I mean, it's just not fun going without power, especially if you go without power for like days. But this is what can happen from a storm, a physical storm, like a hurricane. I want to shift you just a minute this morning. I want you to think about spiritual power. Because sometimes I think we lose spiritual power as well. I think we as churches can forfeit spiritual power. Now, that doesn't mean that God's power is not just as powerful as it ever was. Because the Holy Spirit is always powerful. Okay? And the Holy Spirit resides in each one of us. And we have the access to the power each and every day. But what I'm afraid as I read this passage, as I hear the truth of it, is that we as churches can forfeit the spiritual power. What happens, we allow certain winds to blow in our lives. Let's say the wind of what I will call tolerance that we'll look at in this church, wind of tolerance to blow, and it can suffocate us, and it can extinguish our power. Let me show you what I'm saying this morning as we see how tolerance weakens the church's power and how even confrontation can bring some type of restoration of the power. L- look, if you will, beginning in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira. So, to the pastor, to the messenger of the church in Thyatira. Oh, and the church, I mean, Thyatira, not a big, not a big city at all. It's really not anything to write home about. It's not significant. It's not like it's neighbors. It was just built as a military outpost, and it had been destroyed over and over. It's just kind of there. But Jesus still remembers the people who were there. And he says, okay, to the messenger, the angel, the pastor of the church in Thyatira, write these things. These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. So Jesus identifies himself and he tells us that he has eyes of fire, penetrating eyes. You ever met anybody that looked at you and like when they were looking at you, you thought like they were looking into your soul? You ever met? I mean, I've, I've it's kind of uncanny. Last night there were people trick-or-treating. Listen, don't go as a clown. <laughs> I hate clowns. I drove into my neighborhood last night because I was been at a cross country run. And we came in about 6.30, there were clowns all over our neighborhood, and they would just stare. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that at a preacher, especially. Here it says, Jesus, though, has penetrating eyes, flames of fire. He has, it says, feet like fine brass. He's settled. He's founded. He can tread out the impurities. And then he delivers the message. He says, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. So we get started off in a good way, just as all the other churches that we've seen him address. He'll usually come. That's usually the way it happens. He will come to them. He'll say, hey, I'm looking at you. I can see everything about you. I know for a fact who you are. And there are some good areas. You are working, you are ministering, you are serving. Did you hear this? Jesus said, actually, you're doing more now than you did when you first began as a church, which would have been about a 40-year period. Like, you are actually, you are doing more. Your programs, your ministry, the way you're taking care of people, the way you're loving people, the way you're having faith, this is great. Verse 20, nevertheless. Nevertheless. You can hear the transition, even in the word. I would even underline that or circle that word. Because you'll see where Jesus will note how he will commend them, how they're doing well. But many times in these letters, he'll come back and you'll have a but or a nevertheless. And that word means there's something else that he wants to address in the church's life. So he says, nevertheless. I have a few things against you. I've read this. I've preached on the different letters to the churches. But those words still sting. I have a few things against you. I mean, does it not? I mean, if God were to come to you with those penetrating eyes and he were to look at you this morning individually, personally, and say, hey, I got some things against you. Don't you think that would sting Don't you think your heart would be convicted? I mean, that God himself would look and say, hey, I just, I got got to talk to you about some things. He says, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not. He says... The reason I come to you and the reason I address this is because you are tolerating false teaching in your church. You're allowing it to happen. Now, when I go back and I look at the church at Pergamos or Pergamum, when you look at that church, the one we talked about last week, you see a church that compromises with the world like their lifestyles. They, they'll go to church, they have their doctrine, everything looks good, everything's great, but when they go out, they kind of look just like the world does. They're, they're living like culture. They compromise. When you look at this church, well, there is compromise. There are a lot of similarities. As a matter of fact, I was a little concerned coming this morning and preaching this message after I preached last week's message because some of you would probably say, eh, same message over again. He didn't have to work on that one too much. Now, 70% of you probably would have said, hey, that was a good, good message. You need to preach on that stuff more often. You think I'm kidding. I have people all the time. After I finish this series, somebody will come up to me and say, you ought to preach a message on Revelation. You ought to preach a series. You watch. It'll happen. And you know what? I'll take a picture of them. We'll put them up on the little screen for you next time. But they're very similar, the churches. So what's different? What's different in the church we looked at last week? The church at Pergamos and the church here at Thyatira, because they seem to both be compromised. Well, they are. This is the difference, though. The church at Thyatira is openly allowing someone to teach false doctrine. The church at Pergamos or Pergamum, they had their doctrine, it seems, but they went out and they lived according to another doctrine. Here at Thyatira, they're allowing teachers to teach. False doctor. And it's a woman named Jezebel. Now, why would anybody name their child Jezebel? Especially in the New Testament period. I mean, we're familiar with the queen, Jezebel, of the Old Testament. First Kings chapter 16 tells us that she comes and she marries Ahab. And the princes from Sidon who worship Baal. Brought her worship with her. And when she married Ahab, they introduced this worship of Baal in Israel. And it was fraught with all type of sexual immorality. The Bible says that her husband, Ahab, does more to provoke the anger of the Lord than anybody else. Thanks to Jezebel. So, I mean, Jezebel's got a history. Why would you name your child Jezebel? I don't know. So, when we were expecting our first child... Leslie and I had a lot of spirited debates over the name. You know, we finally got to Abigail, which is awesome. But it took a while. Because I would suggest a name to Leslie. And Leslie, who was a teacher, would turn around and say, no, we can't, can't, name, can't name her that. And I'd say, well, why not? I taught one of those. I said, What? Yeah, I taught one of those. You don't want to name a child that. He, and this was before we knew that it was either going to be a girl or boy. She would either say, yeah, he, he, he was bad. The one I taught, he, he, he was bad. Or the one, the one, yeah, she was bad too. You know, after I came up with about 45 names, though, I looked at her and said, baby, you, you only been teaching a year and a half. How you had that many kids in your class. I mean, tell me. I think she started just using that, you know. I think she just started telling me that because she didn't like the name I was picking out, you know. But here, you name a child Jezebel. So, I believe in the integrity of scripture. I believe it just as I read through it. But here in this passage, I believe that the woman is not actually named Jezebel, But she demonstrates the spirit of Jezebel in her teaching. And thus, that is the reason Jesus identifies her as Jezebel. And he says, here you got a woman that has the character of Queen Jezebel of the Old Testament. She has the false doctrine, the immorality. And you are allowing her to openly teach, openly teach in the church. And you're doing it in the name of tolerance. You're allowing her in the church to lead people in the wrong way. Well, you could imagine it's sanctioned. I mean, here Jezebel is. She's like a Sunday school teacher. I saw Jason earlier go, can you imagine, Jason, we gave her a room. We said, yeah, we'll give you a great room right here in our building. We'll get you one of those smart boards. We'll allow you to, we'll give you everything you need so that you can teach in our church. But the problem is, she's teaching immorality. But that's what they were doing. They were allowing her to teach. She was basically saying, you can be a part of the kingdom and then you can live however you want to live. But they tolerated this, they tolerated it. In the church. Now, I admit there's a place for tolerance. I want to say that clearly. If you take the word tolerance and you allow it to mean respectful, kind, understanding, loving, I think there's a place for that. I actually think that every believer ought to be kind. I think every believer ought to be respectful. I believe every believer should be life-giving and loving. I do believe that. But the problem is, the world today defines tolerance a little differently. Just a little differently. Today, I'm convinced that tolerance has to abandon truth. If you are tolerant of somebody or something, that means you must abandon your truth. G.K. Chesterton wrote, and he said, That tolerance is the virtue of the man without convictions. It's the virtue, it's the value. And culture, I mean, culture, that is one of the core values today. It's like everybody must be tolerant. I, I looked up antonyms. You know what an antonym, right? Yep. English majors, we're in trouble. An antonym is basically something that's the opposite. It's unlike. I looked up a list of antonyms as given in the searches. The antonym for the word tolerance. These are the antonyms. Narrow-minded, angry, not good, biased, bigoted, callous, and this is my favorite, judgmental. That's what we hear today. And yet, God has called us not to abandon the truth. He's told us that tolerance can actually compromise the power of our lives. Now, let me give you some examples. Let me give you some examples of appropriate tolerance and those areas I think that we should push back on. For example, like if somebody's teaching, they're teaching from the book of Revelation, and you may not know this, but like, People don't always agree on the Book of Revelation. You, you know that, like teachers, preachers, like they got all kinds of things. They've got like all millennialism, premillennialism, postmillennialism. There's some people that believe in panmillennialism because it all pan out somehow in the way in the end. They're all kind of people. They all got their own little look. If you ever find somebody that teaches through Revelation, a lot of times they got a chart. One of these days, I'm gonna have my own chart, and that's when I know I've graduated. Because everybody's got their own stuff. You know what? It's fine to disagree on the rapture, when the rapture might occur, if the rapture will occur, if it will. It, it, all, all those kinds of things are fine to disagree on. Actually, I'm fine with Sunday school teachers teaching in different ways. That's cool. What I'm not cool with is it for you to deny the coming of Jesus. You can teach according to those areas that, may be great, but if the bible says that jesus is coming back again then you and i must have that conviction to teach it in our classes that jesus is coming back again let me give you a couple of other to me non-negotiables and there are several non-negotiables but let me give you a couple one the bodily resurrection of jesus I had a Sunday school teacher one time to try to convince me that the scripture was not teaching a bodily resurrection of Jesus. The Sunday school teacher believed that it was allegorical, that it was symbolic, that it was just stating that Jesus in his spirit had been resurrected and thus he had victory over death. And He was teaching Sunday school in a Baptist church. And again, I wanted to be understanding and I wanted to be kind, and, and I was. I, I, I hope I was. But I just asked the question How do you explain the empty tomb? And of course, he pushed back and said, Well, it really wasn't empty. That's just the way they were kind of describing it. They said it was empty. If the body had still been there, don't you think that the religious officials and the government officials, they would have produced the body of Jesus just to say, hey, this was all a big hoax, and these disciples, they're frauds. They never did that. Why? Because the body was not there. Do you realize that the disciples all gave their lives here John is writing the revelation, and I think I told you, he's the last one left standing. All the rest of them have given their lives. They've died believing that there was a resurrection. Oh, and by the way, they never broke. If it had been fraudulent, don't you think somewhere, somebody along the line would have said, hey, I'm not dying for this hoax. I'm just, no, he really, it, we stole the body. Don't you think somebody would have said that? They did not. They gave their lives. And here's John writing, and where is he? on the Isle of Patmos, being persecuted. Don't try to come to me and tell me that the body of Jesus, that the body of Jesus was somehow just left in the tomb. Did, did you know what you, saw, what you sang just a moment ago about resurrection? You talked about God robbing the grave. You talked about resurrection. Why? Why? Because you believe hopefully in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is a core teaching. If somebody else teaches it cannot be tolerated. The exclusive work of Christ for salvation. That's another non-negotiable for me. You must teach that Jesus is the way of salvation. Well You know, there are other religious systems. There are other religious structures. Who are we to say? Folks, we are not the ones who make the decision or the say. Jesus told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. The truth of Scripture is, Jesus is the only way. If there had been another way, do you think God the Father would have sent Jesus to die That would have been a cruel God to send his only son to die if there had been another way. If you had been good enough, if there had been a religious system out there you could have subscribed to, there was no other way. Hey, this is the gospel. That's the reason you can't allow that to be taught in your classrooms or in your church because this is the gospel. This is why we're here, the gospel, You and I, we have sinned. We have all kinds of baggage. And you know what? We can't carry the baggage on our own. We can never get to heaven with this baggage. But God loved you and he loved me when we were still carrying that baggage around, when we still had sin in our life. And what did he do? He sent Jesus Christ because he loved you. And Jesus died on the cross and his life was not taken by a Roman official or a Jewish religious official, Jesus gave his life for you. That, that, that's the gospel. And that is what we must teach. Here Jesus comes and Jesus says, hey, you allow and you tolerate Jezebel. Now I could have heard the way people would have addressed this. You know, the pastor go and say, hey, Je- Jezebel, we need to, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about what's being taught and go through this. I can hear the people. I can hear the people coming to the pastor and say, Now, now, Pastor, you know Aunt Jazzy. That's what we call her. Aunt Jazzy. she's been here a long time. She's been with us in our church. She's a wonderful little soul. And she may teach differently sometimes, but she's good-hearted. She's given to the building fund before. We need to make sure we keep her and her family around here. And you know what the Bible says? Because you know people always quote the Bible to the pastor. You know what the Bible says, Pastor? The Bible says we are not to judge, and we need to allow her to continue to teach. That's where we've come. That's the belief, that's the toleration that's accepted in so many of our churches today. And my friends, I do not believe in condemnation or judgment as defined by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, or Matthew chapter 6, I should say. But I also believe in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, where it speaks about the discerning spirit that we're to have. You and I are to have a discerning spirit. And you know, it doesn't matter how charismatic the person is. It doesn't matter if the speaker is, if if the speaker's got a great big smile on his face or great hair or even good beard like your pastor does. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he can speak very eloquently or she can do things. You and I We must not be drawn along by false teaching. We must be drawn along by what the truth of the gospel is, by the word. This is what we filter. But tolerance, it leads to madness. May I give you an example north of the border? Her name is Greta Vosper. Now, I love Canada. I've gone up to Calgary. Love the area. And I don't think hurricanes come. Only problem is, it's like 80 below sometimes. But I love that area. But if you were to march back over to the other side of Canada, and there you would find this Greta Vosper. Greta Vosper is a pastor there in Toronto. In 2013, she announced that she was an atheist. But she wanted to continue to pastor In 2015, she wrote a letter deconstructing the concept of God. And yet, she still wanted to pastor. They launched these, what they called, heresy trials, which are not as bad as what many of you would think, probably. But they began to examine her teaching and her doctrine and all. And she, again, publicly avowed. Look at the New York Times. They did stories on her. That she was an atheist. She did not believe in God. And yet the church was so concerned about what the community would say and the intolerance that they would demonstrate that they have allowed her to this day to remain pastor there in the United Church of Canada. Is that not madness? Have we come to the point to where, oh, you can serve as a pastor, but you don't even have to believe in God? Some of you say, well, that would never happen here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The slippery slope of tolerance instead of truth. You see, when you deconstruct God, you will deconstruct truth. When you deconstruct God, you will deconstruct reason itself. When you deconstruct God, you will deconstruct life and hope, you will create madness and chaos. That's what happened in the church at Thyatira. They had allowed her to publicly teach things that were against God's word and purpose. But not only did they allow her to teach, they allowed her to seduce believers within the church. She would seduce them to her activities. Some of you have heard this story before. It's really an old story. I hate to tell you, sometimes I don't have a whole lot of fresh stuff. I'm working on it, working on it. But it's the story of the frog placed within a pot of boiling water. You've heard this story, preachers have used it through the years. It's basically this idea that you would take a frog and you would want to boil it. I don't know why, I have no idea. But you would take the frog and that you would find a pot of boiling water and you would throw the frog in. Don't do this, kids. And when you threw the frog in, it would jump out because the water was so hot. So take the frog, though, place it in the pot, the pot that is very cool, room temperature water. And then begin to raise the temperature little by little, little by little and the water would get warmer and warmer the frog would even notice that the temperature was changing and before you know it you have a boiling water that is consuming the frog and the frog never even realized it it's a good example of what happens in churches we would never accept certain things But little bit by little bit by little bit, we become acclimated to the culture. And we begin to say, you know, that's not so bad. I don't feel that. That, That's okay. Again, this is what happens, and this is what happens in our lives. And this is what has happened in the church at Tyra with Jezebel. Because get this, tolerance always leads to approval, and approval always leads to participation. That's what you find: Tolerance to approval to participation. For Jezebel, she came in and she taught. They tolerated her, and then they began to approve of her message. And then they began to participate in the activities that she was teaching. In Thyatira, they had great guilds, great unions, great trade that would come through that area. Now, I want you to hear before I say this, I'm not against the unions. I grew up in a union household. My dad was a teamster, drove a truck, worked very, very hard. He would tell me today, and he's probably watching this, that's the reason I've got to say this. He would tell me today that the union put bread on our table. I am not anti-union. But what happened in Thyatira is, that you had a union or you had a guild, and the only way you could belong to it is if you basically accepted their values and accepted their deities. That's the only way. Oh, there was a woman in the Bible. Remember her name? There in the book of Acts, her name was Lydia. She was the first convert of Europe. And the Bible says that she was a seller of purple, and where was she from? Thyatira, because she had belonged probably to one of these guilds. And here Jesse, oh, Jezebel, she would come and she'd say, You can confess Christ, but there's nothing wrong with joining one of those guilds because there, yes, you'll have to participate in some services before other gods and you'll have to do some other things that will be immoral, but God's okay with that. She brought them in and participate. You see, toleration leads to approval. Approval leads to participation. That's what people, I, I see it all the time. Do you know how many parents, do you know how many families I work with who will come in and they'll say, my kids are this and this. They want me to do this and they need me to approve of this. They say I don't love them if I don't approve of this. And notice how it goes. They want toleration for their belief, but they don't want to tolerate your belief. They want you to approve of their sin, but they don't want to approve of your truth. And you see this happening consistently. During the holidays, I'm already getting prepared because during the holidays, I'll get families in my office and they'll, they'll be dealing with real life kind of stuff. For example, preacher, what do I do when my daughter calls me and she says, I'm coming home for Thanksgiving and mama, I'm going to bring my boyfriend with me. And mama, we're going to stay in my old room. What do I do? I know I should tell her that they can't stay in in that room. But if I tell her no, you know what she's going to say is, you don't love me. You don't approve of me. You don't want me to come. Thus, I'm not coming and it'll cut me off. Do you know how many conversations I have like this? I mean, it's over and over during the holidays. Because again, tolerance for one, but not tolerance for the belief of their parents and the truth of their parents. And they'll work through that. Because what happens, tolerance, approval, they need you to participate. You, you put your blessing by allowing us to stay in one room in your house. Tolerance. And because of that, they had forfeited their power. They had lost their testimony. They had lost their purity. But this is the promise. i give it to you very quickly. The power that is promised. If we could get past that tolerance and confront what is right in our lives and seek what is right. Notice notice what it says. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. That's in verse 21. She did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. So what does he say? He comes and he says, okay, if you can confront these things and repent of it, you can see the power restored. Just repent. What's the word repent? It means to change your mind, your heart, your life, and align them with God's. That's what it means. I don't know if you caught this, but it says, I gave Jezebel space to repent. God had been gracious. God said, I gave her space, but she just wouldn't. And folks, God gives us time to repent. Like this morning, you got breath. You got breath in your body. Guess what? He's giving you an opportunity to get right with him. He's giving you an opportunity this morning to say, Christ, I desire a relationship with you above everything else. Lord, remove the impurities from my life and let me align with you. He's giving you that opportunity. Do you know that the reason Jesus, one of the reasons Jesus has not returned is because he's given you an opportunity this is what Peter said. Peter said, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. In other words, the reason Jesus hasn't come is so that there are other people that could come and repent of their sins and find forgiveness before he comes. You get that opportunity. You and I get an opportunity to write our relationship with Jesus. He says, to those, in verse 25, to those, the rest, he says, hold fast what you have till I come. Those of us who have belonged to the truth, what are we to do? Hold fast. Keep going. Don't give up. Do you know how many days I'm just kind of, i just like, Lord, I'm ready to give up. And Lord says, don't give up. And don't give in. Hold fast. Keep on follow me. And then he says that as this happens within the church, verse 23, the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. This reminds me of Acts. You remember there was a couple there named Ananias and Sapphira. They came into the church and they had deceived the leadership. They had deceived the church and they met obviously the power of God. And it says that when all that happened, the fear of God went over all the congregations. I bet so. I bet so. And here it says, when you confront that sin, that actually the church itself begins to see the power of God. They begin to look around and say, whoa, look who God is. God really is holy and God really is powerful and God really does deal With sin. And then he says in verse 26 And he who overcomes and keeps my works till the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. That verse is from Psalm chapter 2, a messianic psalm that speaks of Jesus, the Davidic king that was coming. And what Jesus basically says is, you get to rule and you get to reign with me. You got power. You got power. And he says, the Father gave it to me. Remember the Great Commission? What did Jesus say? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Before we, he sent us out to do our mission, he said, I've got power and I give it to you you and I can have power every day of our lives. If we'll confront these things in our lives that are not right, if we'll confront these things that are trying to take our power away from us, we can know his authority and his power as we go forth. But to be honest with you, I think sometimes we have unplugged. We've kind of stepped away. We haven't experienced the power and the authority of God as we should because we've tolerated too many things in our lives. Sometimes we've tolerated false teaching. Sometimes we've tolerated the immorality itself. And we've forfeited the power. Listen, I always want you to hear that there is a message of hope. I never want you to leave this place and think, Man, Brother Reggie was angry today. Because this message, yes, it's tough, but it is filled with hope. Because, see, I probably would have given up on this church already. I would have already submitted a resume somewhere else and said, I think I want to go pastor somewhere else. But Jesus came to him and said, hey, I love you. This is what's going on, and I want to help you. And I want to call you to a restored relationship. See, that's the hope for you. You may have messed up. You may have baggage. You may have all kinds of issues. You may have got in line with some wrong. We get, we do that, all of us do. But thanks be to God if we will repent of our sins. He runs to us and he brings forgiveness in our lives. So this morning, my friends, hear a message of hope. If you've tolerated some things, just go ahead and say, God, sorry for that, and repent and let that relationship be restored. Because our God wants and desires relationship with you. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning, and um, God, I thank you, for working in our lives to bring us to a point of salvation. And, Lord, there are some in here this morning that, Lord, just frankly, they've never truly committed their lives to you, and they've never surrendered. They've never really been saved. And I pray first for them that they'll have courage to reach out to me here during this invitation, maybe catch some of us after church, whatever. Lord, I pray that you will just let them know today is the day of salvation. And there's some of us in here, Lord, that's allowing the the world to uh, teach us a little too much and really lead us into some areas we shouldn't be in. God, thank you for speaking a message that would draw us back. God I pray for my brothers and sisters those who need to be restored to fellowship God speak to them this morning allow them to come allow them to repent of their sins God when we go out of this place we're going to go in victory because we know that through you we can have power Lord we just pray first though before we know power we know purity in our lives we ask it in Jesus name she staying.